Hey, Jesse. Bummed about that gut? Wish you had rock-hard abs? Look, I'm going to be honest. Unless you're under the age of 23 or a professional football player, it's probably not going to happen. If I were you, I'd just buy some bigger shirts. Oh, Peyton Manning. I like Peyton Manning. Well, I hope you had a great Thanksgiving. As we know, the focus of Thanksgiving is supposed to be on the giving of thanks. But let's be honest, for most of us, it's all about the food. That huge Thanksgiving meal, right? Well, I host Thanksgiving for my side of the family at my house on Thanksgiving now, and we have a ton of food. I'm sure you do as well. In fact, I have a, a picture here of my bar. It's a long one, and it's, it's filled with food. And here's a picture of uh, some desserts. Got the uh, yep, pecan pie, pumpkin pie, apple pie, cheesecake, and I can't tell what that other one is. Lemon, sour cream lemon. That's, that's what's in the picture there. But, you know, we've got all of this food. And, and with all of this food, the tendency is to overeat, right? In fact, we uh, stuff ourselves to the point where we become very uncomfortable. And this is a picture of my great-nephew, Bryce, and that pretty much depicts how we feel after the Thanksgiving meal, right? This is the I-can't-eat-another-bite look. And you always think, if I could just keep that feeling for a while, but no, three or four hours, you're back in that kitchen for another piece of pie, aren't you? I am anyway. Well, after we stuff ourselves, what happens next? Well, we unbutton our pants. At least those of you who aren't smart enough to wear something stretchy on Thanksgiving. I have my lounge pants on, on, on Thanksgiving Day. I don't wear jeans. So that's a little Thanksgiving tip for you. And then we might get in our chair that we're sitting in and try to lean back a little bit. Or we'll fight someone over the one recliner in the living room or maybe the den. Because that way we can truly lie all the way back, relieve some of that pressure and that uncomfortable feeling. And then after we get in the recliner or lean back in our chair and unbutton our pants, what happens next? We get sleepy. Nothing like a great nap after a great dinner. You don't want to go for a jog after Thanksgiving dinner or do any exercise. You just want to sit still and hope that that uncomfortable feeling goes away really fast while you're asking yourself, why did I do that again? I know not to do that, but the food just tastes so good. But that's what happens when we stuff ourselves. But you know, similar things can happen to us when we stuff ourselves with spiritual food. You know, when we first become a believer, everything's new and exciting. And we cannot get enough spiritual food. We're going to church, and we're reading our Bibles, and we're praying, and we get in a Sunday school class or maybe a group, and we're taking all of this spiritual food in. We can't get enough of it. And the spiritual food causes us to get spiritual muscles. 
We develop faith because faith comes by hearing and hearing by the Word of God. The fruits of the Spirit start developing in our lives because we've got the Spirit of God in us now. So we have love and joy and peace and long-suffering and all of those things like we've never had it before. We start becoming spiritually fit. And we're consuming a lot of this spiritual food because we need it to grow and become healthy. Just like a baby needs spiritual milk to grow and be healthy, we're spiritual babies. So we need all of that spiritual milk and then solid food as we continue to grow to become spiritually healthy, just like in the physical. And we don't have to worry about becoming spiritually obese because we're exercising. We're not just taking all of this food in and doing nothing with it. No, we're taking this food in and we're applying it to our lives. We're going home from church and saying, wow, did you hear that word? I didn't know that. This is what I can say or this is what I can do in this situation because I learned this. And not only are we applying it to our lives and using it for our benefit, we're also sharing it. What God is doing in us is just too good to keep to ourselves. We want other people to experience it with us. It's like a great piece of pie at Thanksgiving. About three years ago, I decided I was going to try out a new pie at Thanksgiving. Now, when you have people coming to your house, normally I don't do that. But at Thanksgiving, what the heck? There's nine zillion other desserts, so if it doesn't turn out that great, it doesn't matter. You can just throw it in the trash, and there's plenty left. So that's the time to try out new desserts. Well... I tried out a pie called a white chocolate macadamia nut pie. Oh yeah, it was good. You know, I'm the dessert queen. If you're new here, um, I can tell you all about the desserts. I love sugar and bread. Those are my two favorite foods. I know they're the two worst foods, but they are my favorite. So, I adapted this recipe from Paula Dean. Love Paula Dean because she's just down home country cooking, right? So this crust has macadamia nuts crushed up in it. It's got cream cheese, which I'm a cheesecake fanatic. Anything with cream cheese, I like it. It's got cream cheese and white chocolate. It's got a chocolate ganache that goes over the top of it. And then, of course, slather it with whipped cream. So we get out that pie, and we cut a slice of it, and we take a bite of it. And in my family, you know, we're picking off of the same plate, going, Whoa, did you taste that pie? Here, you got to have a bite. So we're running around the kitchen saying, try a bite of this pie. I mean, it's great pie, so you want to share it. And you know, that's what happens to us spiritually initially as well. We're excited and passionate about God. And so we're running around saying, hey, you got to hear what God is doing. I got to tell you this. I got to show you this. We're so excited. We want to share the pie because we want others to experience what God is doing in us. But over time, what happens to most of us is that we stop sharing our pie. We're still eating pie, but we're just not giving anyone else a bite. Because after all, we have pie all the time now, and so it's just not quite as exciting as it used to be, so we stop sharing our pie. And pretty soon, All we're doing is consuming all of this spiritual food, but we're not doing anything with it. We stop using it. We basically stop exercising. We're not using it for our benefit. We're not applying it to our lives. And we're not sharing it with others either. And so what happens is we become spiritually stuffed. Now, this morning we're going to pretend 
that we can bring our inside man, our spiritual man, on the outside. And we're going to depict that and illustrate that by this little red razorback jacket. Okay, wonder where I got a razorback jacket. Hmm. So this is our spirit man. Okay, we're bringing it on the outside. So we hear a teaching on prayer. This is after we've been a believer a while, right? Because we're pretty thin right now. Would you agree? You know, nothing in here. Got lots of room because we've been exercising. But after a period of time, what happens is we start hearing all this food, this this teachings, getting all this spiritual food, but then we stop exercising. So we hear a teaching on prayer, and we think, well, you know, I don't really have any major problems in my life right now, so I think I'll just take that word and I'll just keep it for later, stuff it in there. And then we hear a teaching on marriage. Well, right now things are going pretty good with the hubby and I. So, I don't really need that, particularly right now, so we'll just store that for later. And then we hear a teaching, come to church, and Pastor Allen is teaching on faith. Again, like I've not heard 50 million sermons on faith, so I don't really need that right now. I wish he'd teach on something good. Stuff that in there. Okay. And then, wouldn't you know it, we get to our community group, and they decide to do a Bible study on parenting. Well, my kids are nearly out of the house now. Well, I sure don't need that, but I guess I'll just stuff it in there somewhere, and pretty soon what happens, we just keep taking all this spiritual food in, and we become spiritually stuffed. This is what our spirit man looks like on the inside of us. Look comfy to you? Mm-mm. It's not. It's not comfy at all. We've got all this word inside of us. Man, what I could pull out of here for you. Teachings on faith and prayer. And I know stuff about marriage and work and finances. I have got so much stuff in here. I'm losing some of my stuff too. But if I stop exercising and applying it to my life, if I stop exercising and I quit sharing it with other people, I just get bigger and bigger and bigger. And remember what happens when you get stuffed. You become uncomfortable. And one day, you wake up and you think, Something's not right spiritually with me. I don't have the passion for God that I once did. You know, God's word doesn't really come alive to me like it used to. And my prayer life is just kind of flat. And it seems like God is so far away. I just feel spiritually Blah. And that's a really uncomfortable feeling. Maybe it's because we've stopped exercising. We're not using what we've been stuffing inside of us. And now we're just full of all of this word, but not 
taking any of it out. Have you ever heard the saying, what goes in must come out? Well, not to be gross or anything. But if you eat and eat and eat, and none of that is ever extracted from your body, you're going to have problems. In fact, you're going to be very uncomfortable. All you fiber fans can applause, right? Fiber is just not for older people anymore. Everybody wants that system working well. You want your pipes and everything cleaned out and functioning well. Because if not, you are extremely uncomfortable. It is not fun. Well, that's also true in our spiritual life. God never, ever, ever designed us to take all this stuff in and never have an outlet for giving it out. It's a quick way to become spiritually unhealthy and very uncomfortable. So this morning, we're going to look at a parable that is a great illustration of this. It's the parable of the talents found in Matthew chapter 25. We're not going to read the entire passage just for time, uh, because of time's sake, but we're going to pick out some portions and see how this applies to this principle. So let's begin in verse 14. It says, For it is just like a man about to go on a journey who called his own slaves and entrusted his possessions to them. Now in those days, the slaves or servants were often entrusted with really important responsibilities. In fact, most of the business managers and doctors and teachers in Rome were actually servants or slaves. So Jesus used a very ordinary situation in which a property owner or master wanted to test and develop his servants by giving them opportunity and responsibility. Now, before we go on, let's make sure we're all on the same page and we all understand what this parable is talking about. Who does the man in the parable represent? It's not a trick question. God, right? Or Jesus, yes. Who do the slaves or the servants represent? Us. So turn to someone and say, I am one of the servants. Okay, we're all on the same page here about the analogy so far? Good. So that means if we're going to apply this right off the old bat, we can understand that you and I have been given opportunity and responsibility, right? Let's continue on. Verse 15. And to one he gave five talents, to another two, and to another one, each according to his own ability, and then he went away on his journey. Now, the talent was the largest unit of currency in the ancient world. One talent was equal to 6,000 denarii. And one denarii was equal to approximately one day's wage. So that means that even one uncoined talent of silver represented at least 17 years of wages. So for example, if you make $25,000 a year, multiply that by 17, you would have been given a whopping $425,000. That's what would have been entrusted to you. Now clearly, an enormous amount of money was at stake because this one servant just got one talent, but the others got more. Huge amount of money. So this tells us two things. Number one, the master had a lot of confidence in his servants. And it also tells us that the servants had tremendous responsibility. So let's make application to ourselves again. 
God has a lot of confidence in you and I. And you and I have tremendous responsibility. So, the Greek word for ability here, let's take a look at that for just a moment, is dunamis, which we get our, our English word dynamite from. But it especially refers to power. Now, why are we ever, for any reason at all, given power or ability? Just for the heck of it? Just to say we have it? No. We're given power or ability to use, right? To do something with it. And this master gave to the servants each according to his own ability, which tells us that the master knew the servants all had different abilities. They weren't on the same playing field as far as abilities go. He knew they all had different abilities, but that didn't matter. He was a fair and just master because what he did was he entrusted a sum of money to each servant according to his own ability. So he didn't ask anything more of any servant than what he had the ability to do. So let's make application again. Each of us, has the ability to carry out the responsibility God has entrusted to each one of us. We all in this place do not have the same abilities, but God has entrusted each of us according to the ability that we have and given us the ability to carry out what he expects of us. Verse 16. So immediately the one who had received the five talents went and traded with him. And gained five more talents. In the same manner, the one who received the two talents gained two more. But he who received the one talent went away and dug in the ground and hid his master's money. Now the first two servants understood the opportunity word. They went seeking opportunities to do business with what had been entrusted to them. And they were successful. They used their ability to carry out the responsibility as their master knew that they would. Now, the third servant was responsible for less, but he didn't have any less responsibility. All of them had a responsibility to do something with what had been entrusted to them. And then in verse 19, it says, Now, after a long time, the master of those slaves came and settled accounts with them. Now, most of us know the rest of the story. The first two servants were not only commended, but they were rewarded. They heard the words, good, well done, good and faithful servant. And because you've been faithful with just this little bit, I'm going to give you more. They used their ability to carry out their responsibility. But now the third servant, as we know, tried to defend his tactics by saying, well, master, I know what kind of man you are. You're a hard man. You reap where you don't sow, and I was afraid, so I went and hid your, money, hid your money. And then he tries to tell him, but see here, you have what is yours. And the master said, for a second there, I thought you lost it. No, that isn't what he said, is it? Would you have said that? Think about it. If I gave you $425,000, and I came back to settle an account with you and you said, well, here's your $425,000. I was supposed to, I know, do something with it, put it in the bank or something, but I didn't, but here you have it. You know, my thought would be, okay, well, at least they didn't lose any of it. Interesting. The master doesn't see it that way at all. In fact, what does he say to the third servant? 
He calls him a wicked and lazy slave. What? Because the whole reason he entrusted that to him was to do something with it. Because he had opportunity and because he had the ability to do it. He wasn't expecting anything of him that he wasn't able to do. So just keeping it and handing it back to the master didn't cut it because that's not why it was given to him in the first place. So he was deemed a wicked and lazy slave. He had a responsibility to do something with the money just like the other two servants. He couldn't say he had too little time or too little to work with or even too little ability. He just decided to do nothing with what had been entrusted to him. And here's the tough application. Which servant am I? Because we're all one of those servants, right? Basically, two types of servants. The servants who use their ability to carry out their responsibility and those who do nothing with what's been entrusted to them. Paul writes to Timothy in 2 Timothy 1.14. Guard, Timothy, the good deposit that was entrusted to you. Guard, Guard it with the help of the Holy Spirit who lives in us. That good deposit is the beginning of all of this stuff. It's the gospel. It's the good news of Jesus Christ. And once we partake of the gospel, we start feeding ourselves with all of this spiritual food. But God never designed us to keep all of this stuff, all of this word inside of us. We've been entrusted, just like the servants in the parable, to do something with it, to use our ability that has been entrusted to us. We've been given opportunity and responsibility to do something with the good deposit that has been entrusted to us. Now think about it. When you make a deposit on something, what does that mean? It means you're making a down payment, yes, but it also means you're going to be back. No one makes a deposit on something and then never comes back for it. And this parable tells us that the master is coming one day to settle accounts. And he's going to find out and see what we've done with what's been entrusted to us. And we better not say, well, here, Lord, I was afraid of stepping out to do this or saying that or whatever. Here you have what is yours. Because I can tell you right now, God's already told us through this parable, that's not going to cut it. So this is a wake-up call for us if we're that third servant. There will be a day for settling accounts, and God wants us to be ready. He's given us information to help us understand how to be ready, to recognize that we have opportunities and we have ability to carry out what God has called us to do. So let me ask you a question. What are you doing with all of your stuff? that's inside of you. With all of that word, some of you have been accumulating for 50 years. Some of you may have been accumulating stuff for only a couple of months. Some of you six months. Some of you a long, long time. What are you doing with what's been entrusted to you? Are you just stuffing it down in your spirit, man? Are you burying it? Are you doing something with it? Are you sharing your pie? As believers, we'll never stop needing uh, spiritual food, just like we'll never stop needing physical food. But we can't just eat and take in that spiritual food and not exercise, not do something with it, because that's why it was given to us, to use. So today, I want to challenge all of us to ask ourselves the question, am I stuffed 
Does my spirit man look like that on the inside of me? And maybe I've been comfortable and I didn't know why I was uncomfortable. Maybe it's because I was stuffed and I didn't even know it. Do I come to church and I hear the word, but do I leave without it impacting my life? Before I, I leave church, before I get up from reading my Bible, do I ask myself the question, God, what do you want me to do with this information? Show me how I can apply this to my life. Lord, who do you want me to share this with? What do you want me to do with this word that you've just given me? We just finished a teaching series entitled Overcoming in a Hostile Work Environment. It was an excellent series. So let me ask you, how have you applied that information? What are you doing with it? Now, I know some of you are doing things with it, and you're applying it because you've told us stories about how your eyes have been opened in the workplace and what you're doing and saying and how it has changed you. And as, as a result of that, you're in your workplace, changing things in your workplace. Love it! Well done, good and faithful servants. You're using what's been entrusted to you. And then there are some of you who say, well, I don't really work in a hostile work environment, so I just kind of stuffed it in there. Well, I have uh, two things to say to that. Number one, the principles that we learned in this series can be applied to any environment, not just a work environment. The principles that we learned about having the right attitude, having the right perspective, accepting full responsibility for our actions, applies in the home environment. It applies to friendships. It applies to every environment. So if that's your thought, you truly are stuffed up to your eyeballs with stuff and you can't even see properly. Secondly, my response to you would be this. Even if this, a particular teaching, this particular teaching doesn't apply to your life at this particular time, you still have a responsibility to do something with it. You still have a responsibility to share it. It can't just sit in you and not do anything. If you don't need it for right now, pull it out and use it for somebody else. Okay. I'm, I'm tough this morning, aren't I? I'll be glad to get him back. Well, he always told me, you could tell people to go jump in the lake and they love you for it. Well, we're going to find out this morning if that's true or not. Y'all can let me know afterwards. I am blown away when I hear through the grapevine, because none of you people tell us this, but we still hear it. When people say, oh, it's a teaching on marriage again? I don't need that. How long is that series? Three weeks. Oh, okay. Well, I'll be back in three weeks. Seriously? Seriously? You mean to tell me you don't know anyone who is married? Do you have kids who are married? Do you have grandkids who are married or will be married? Do you have people you work with 
that are married or maybe having marriage issues? Do you have friends and family and neighbors that are married that you have information you could use to help them? Seriously? You're not going to come because you don't know anybody you could pass that information on to? If you think this is rough, trust me, you don't want to be standing before God when he's saying, Seriously? You didn't go to church because you didn't need that teaching? Well, I've got news for you, folks. Unless you have a perfect marriage, you better be here when we're teaching on marriage. Alan and I have been married for 29 years. And I would put our marriage up against anybody. We have an awesome marriage. But one of the reasons that we do is because we apply the principles that he teaches. He studies and prepares and teaches, uh, gets ready for a marriage series. And he'll come home and he'll say, Lisa, God showed me this. And I've been thinking about us. And so we discuss it and how we can apply it to our lives. And then I come and I sit right in that chair over there, just like you guys. And I listen to that word. And Alan and I take it home and we apply it to our lives. I love him more today than I've ever loved him in my entire life. And next year, I want to be able to say, I love that man more today than I did a year ago. And we will if we apply these principles. Next to your relationship with God, the most important relationship that you have is your marriage. How the heck can that not be important to you where you'd want to come unless you're just perfect and you have it all together? Well, you know, really, that's shameful. But secondly, it's sad because you don't know what you're missing out on. That's like saying, well, I had broccoli once, not having it again. You, keep, you need vegetables for the rest of your life to grow and be healthy. Your marriage relationship never stops growing either. So I hope I obliterated that little excuse to smithereens. And I hope I don't hear through the grapevine any of you people saying it. Well, you all still may do it, but you're not going to tell anybody you're doing it right. Okay. Listen, people, God has entrusted all of this stuff, all of this spiritual word to us to use. In the parable, the master told the, the third servant, he said, the least, the least you could have done is put that money in the bank and it could have collected interest. Because that's not much effort. You're making a trip to the bank and throwing it in the bank, and that's it. That's the least you could have done. And remember, Besides all the word that we're talking about, the teachings that we receive, when we read our Bibles, when we're in a Bible study or someone's sharing something with us, when we're taking in all of that spiritual food, remember the beginning of all of it is that good deposit, the good news of the gospel of Jesus Christ. So let me ask you, we've all been entrusted with that. If you're a believer, you have been entrusted with that good news. It is in here, in you. You've been entrusted with it. So let me ask you, what are you doing with it? When was the last time you invited someone to church? When was the last time you shared your story? about how you came to know Christ? When was the last time you sat down and have a conversation with someone and said, this is what God is doing in my life? I've got to tell you, he is an amazing God. 
When was the last time you had a conversation like that? Does it bother you that people are dying and going to hell? Does it bother you? Because if it doesn't, something's awfully wrong. And I'm preaching to myself as much as you guys. Because I know for myself, I do not have God's heart like I know I need to. Like I know he wants me to. Because he's entrusted to me that good news. And I'm not doing with it enough. I'm not sharing it enough. Anyone feeling uncomfortable now? Good. We should be. Listen to me, church. If you don't hear anything else, listen to this. It is arrogant for you to assume the cross is only about you. It is not about me. And it is not about you. We've received the greatest gift ever. And because we have, now we've been entrusted to do something with it. Because it's not all about us. People are dying and going to hell. And God's counting on us. His plan to get the good news out has never changed. God uses people to tell the story. There's a legend which, which uh, recounts the story of Jesus returning to heaven after his earthly time here on earth. And so he gets up to heaven and Gabriel approaches him and says, Master, you must have suffered terribly while you were down there. And Jesus said, yes, I did. And Gabriel said, well, do they all know about your love and what you've done for them? And Jesus said, oh, no. Just a handful of people in Palestine know right now. So Gabriel said, well, how are you going to tell everybody about it? And Jesus said, well, I've asked Peter, James, and John, and a few other friends to tell people about my love and what I've done for them. And they, in turn, will tell other people, and my story will be spread throughout the world until ultimately all mankind will know of my love for them and what I've done. Of course, Gabriel knew what man was like. He was very skeptical, and he said, but Jesus, what if Peter, James, and John get tired? What if the people who come after them forget about it? What if down through the centuries, people stop telling the story? What other plans have you made? And Jesus said, I haven't made any other plans. I'm counting on them. And 21 centuries later, he still hasn't made any other plans. He's counting on you and I to continue the work of reconciling the world to himself. Our master has a lot of confidence in us. And we've been given tremendous responsibility. So, let's make application really quick. The Christmas season is upon us, and next Sunday, we start a new series entitled Stress. Now, you might not have stress in your life right now, but I promise you, it's coming. If you're going to be around people, you're going to have stress. So I want to challenge you to take this word that we've been talking about this morning, and let's just make application right here and now. I want to challenge you to not only be here yourself, 
but to invite a friend to come with you. We all know people who are dealing with stressful situations, especially at the holiday season. People who have family issues, people who have no family, people who've gone through tragedies, who the holidays are depressing for them. The economic crisis has caused people to be fearful of the future and their finances. Invite them to come. Because we have information in this series that will help them and not only that, I pray you're thinking of people to invite who don't know Christ. Or maybe you're not sure. Or maybe you have no idea. But invite those people because when they come, we're going to tell the story. You know what's interesting? Sometimes we feel funny about saying the word Jesus outside of church or our home. But even people who are non-believers come to church and you know what they're not going to be weirded out when we say the word Jesus because it's expected inside these church walls so if you're even fearful of sharing your story here's something easy here's an opportunity that you can take and use invite someone to church invite them to an environment where not only will they get help with great practical life issues but more importantly, we're going to tell the story. We're going to say the name Jesus, and they won't be weirded out about it. So maybe your part to play, what you've been entrusted with this week from your master is to invite someone, and maybe that someone will give their life to Christ. They might not, but they just might, and you'll never know until you get them here. Church, it's time that we stop stuffing ourselves and start exercising. I'll be honest with you, Alan and I have been praying for spiritual revival in our church because we're looking a little stuffed, looking a little pudgy. We're already working on outreaches for this next year. And it's like right now we've been doing ah, a few little curls, right? Maybe a little tricep work. Next year, we're doing lunges. We're getting out there, and we're going to start exercising. We're going to start exercising individually, and we're going to start using this stuff that we've got inside of us that maybe we've had for 20 years or whatever. We're going to start pulling that stuff out and applying it to our lives and we're going to start sharing it with other people because we have been entrusted individually and corporately. And so help us. We are not going to be spiritual little piggies in this place, even if we do love the Razorbacks. Not going to happen. So today, this has been my prayer in preparing for this. God, awaken us spiritually as we sang this morning, fire fall down on us. Wake us up out of our slumber and that stuffed, uncomfortable feeling. We've got to start exercising again because people are counting on us. Do it for our benefit and do it for the benefit of others. It's time we start sharing the pie. Let's stand. If everyone here would just bow your head. Maybe you're here this morning and you've never given your life to Christ. Well, you can do that this morning because I'm going to tell you this story. There is a God 
who so loved you that he gave his most precious possession, his son. We call him Jesus. He came to this earth. He lived a sinless life. And because he lived a sinless life, he went to the cross and died for you and I to pay the penalty for our sins, which is something we could not do ourselves. But because he loved us, he did it. And then God looked down in the depths of hell and saw a soul that had never sinned. And he said, live. And he was resurrected and he lives eternally in heaven at the right hand of our Father. And you can join him. You can be and live eternally in heaven by accepting him and receiving the free gift of eternal life. So I'm going to say a prayer. It's not a magical prayer. But if you've never given your life to Christ this morning, Now's your time to do it. So I'm going to lead you in a prayer. You can say it to yourself if you want to. God, I understand that you love me to the best that I know how right now. I know that Jesus died for my sin so that I could be completely forgiven. So now I ask Jesus to be Lord of my life, to forgive me of my personal sin, and live in my heart forever.